Hello, hello, and thank you all for listening to Real Talk Atlanta, your favorite podcast for real life, real scenario, and of course, all things real estate. We're your hosts, River Bonds, Ashley LeRae, Nika W., and Taisha Renee, and we're so glad to have you tuned in. So sit back, take notes, and let's talk. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Real Talk Atlanta. We're your hosts, River the Realtor, Nika W., Taisha Renee, Ashley LeRae. And you guys, we are so happy to have you guys here with us. Um, Yeah, we missed you all. I know. (laughs) We missed being in the studio, but we are recording a very, very special episode today because we have a very, very special guest with us today. She is a mentor, (laughs) a fabulous woman, the founder and CEO of Madison Chase Capital Advisors Mortgage Brokerage Firm, where they specialize in creating general generational wealth through ownership. Everybody, it is my privilege and pleasure to introduce Miss Tanya Blanche. Oh, excited to be here and talk about real estate and lending and how we can help people purchase homes in this crazy market. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And today, in the last previous episode, we talked a lot about like pre-approvals and ownership and things like that, but we really didn't get a chance to like dive into the nitty gritty of like obtaining financing. And like I said, if y'all want to have fun, you got to bring the funds. So okay. <laughs> we have to talk to y'all about how to get that. But um, before we dive into the episode, I really want to just give you the floor to kind of introduce yourself, Absolutely. tell them some stuff about you and yeah. Sure. Well, my name is Tanya Blanchard. I'm the owner of Madison Chase Capital Advisors. Madison's my daughter and Chase is my son. So it's named after my company. Um, I believe in building generational wealth through real estate. Mm -hmm. I've been a loan officer in Atlanta for 18 years and I've owned my own mortgage firm for four. My anniversary party's coming up. And I just really believe in building generational wealth. I believe in educating the client. I believe in closing on time. Mm. And I believe in just integrity and -hmm. building relationships. And I think that's part of this episode is how do you build relationships with lenders and what should you look for in a lender? So I'm here to help talk about the current interest rates, looking for a lender. We're going to talk about self-employed borrowers, just everything that we really need to prepare people so that when they come to you, I always tell people lack of preparation on your part is not an emergency on our part. So we want to make Make sure it's just unfair <laughs> that they call you two months before they have to get out their lease. They don't have their money. Their credit right. score is this. Mm-hmm. And right. then everyone's panicking, looking at us to be superheroes. Right. Right. It's just not fair. Right. right. And I feel like everyone, when they're looking for a house, they always just think about a realtor, but there's so many other people involved. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Lender is a huge part of the process. Right. And our last episode was really about, you know, like choosing your partners and your lenders mm-hmm. and attorneys. So it's really a good moment for us to actually have someone in the field that's a professional. That's and knows really what they're doing. Can things. I add that? That actually oh, knows what they're yeah. doing. <laughs> we need that. So let's just dive right in, y'all, because we sure. have a boatload of information. I really wanted to start off this episode talking about the loan programs. Sure. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of them. So I want to mm-hmm. be very clear about that. But I would say the three we deal with most often are going to be conventional loans, FHA loans, and VA loans. So I wanted to kind of talk to you and let you kind of tell them more so about requirements in terms of credit, down payment, and those things for Absolutely. those three loans. We're going to talk about conventional first. Mm-hmm. Conventional is really the best financing that you should have. Now, here's the ironic thing. Conventional interest rates are higher than FHA interest rates. Mm-hmm. But in the in, in mortgages, if you don't put 20% down, then you have what's called mortgage insurance. Mm-hmm. So conventional 
the mortgage insurance is based on your credit score, right? So then you have FHA that has a lower interest rate, but the mortgage insurance never goes away. Mm. They changed that about six years ago. So I try and put people in conventional, but there are things that can stop you from going in conventional. Disputed accounts, high debt-to-income ratio, collections. Those things can stop you from being approved for conventional. (laughs) So you just want to be careful. And also, you know, they say you can be approved with a 620 conventional score, but that's a fallacy. It's not true. You can be approved, but your mortgage insurance will probably at least double what FHA is. So Mm -hmm. once you do the numbers, it just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So with conventional, 3% down is your minimum requirement. And if you've owned a home in the last three years and you have to put 5% down to go conventional. And then let's talk a little bit about FHA. So FHA really gets a bad rap. FHA is a really good program for higher debt to income ratio, especially Mm -hmm. with interest rates going up. You can't qualify for as much as you could before. So it's not a bad loan. I always tell people I don't want to talk bad about FHA because FHA is a gateway to home ownership. But it's not not something that you want to stay in forever. And I want to backtrack just a little bit because I will say FHA and conventional a lot of times are the ones we deal with with our first time home buyers and things like that. And so I really want to just clarify for them if you're going FHA or conventional what is the difference like what is the hard credit score for the FHA versus conventional and then the specific down payments absolutely so the reason that I say 660 for conventional is because that mortgage insurance is just going to be so expensive Mm -hmm. if your score is under 660 Mm -hmm. so it's 660 then you have three percent down for your first time home buyer FHA goes down to 580 for three and a half percent down. If you had 10 percent down, you could go down to 560. I think with FHA and conventional, I would say I use those probably the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah those but I do want to segue a little bit into the VA loans Absolutely. because we have a lot of veteran oh, yes, buyers. I actually work with Veterans United a lot on a contract with them, and I will say like a lot of people who are military don't really understand their benefits. So a little bit, can you talk to us a little oh, bit about the VA? Loan so and the biggest like thing that? about a VA loan is unlike. FHA and conventional, when you run it through automated underwriting and you get that approved eligible, that's not the end of your approval because VA looks at you have to have residual income. They literally have a chart that says, you know, what part of the country you live in, north, Mm -hmm. south, east, west, something like that. And then it'll say, what size is your family? What size is your square footage of your house? And then there's a factor. So I look at debt to income. I'll do a quick residual income, but they look at child care. Mm. And this happened to me years ago. I had a client that was 65 years old. Do you think I said, do you have any children? <laughs> right. <laughs> Probably I not. get back the, the, because VA has their own set of forms. So they have their own disclosures. They're going to have a child provider form. They look at utilities. They take certain things out of income that we don't. And they add certain things back into liabilities that we don't. Mm-hmm. So this man is 65 years old. We, I get the form back. I don't even read the form. I, you know, I'm just like, at this point, it's a form. It just goes to your processor. Mm-hmm. He had two kids. Which one that didn't. was two. Oh, one, two. Two. Wow. Oh, my. Two. Wow. And then he Not adopted his new wife's son. Oh. So I had childcare expenses of like $2,500 totally wow. throughout his debt to income ratio. So you know what I do now? I don't care how old you are. If you're a veteran, I'm like, do you have children? Do you <laughs> right. pay child you care? Child? Yeah. So, so that, that's the biggest thing for veterans is that you can't just look at an approval. For the VA, 0% down. And then the required 
for 100% financing is, well, it's 580. Before COVID, it was 560. You could do a manual underwrite. So is it still out there? Yes. But I personally think just have a 580. And then what about for the spouses and kids of veterans? I know I get a lot of people whose husband may have passed or whose father may have passed. So children know um, spouses, they have to check with the VA. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times with, and I only learned this recently um, with a woman, is that you actually only have a certain amount of time to use that death benefit of buying a new home. I don't think it's like... And there's a disability factor, right? Right. If your spouse was not a disabled veteran I do think there are some parameters that will not allow you to use those VA benefits exactly but on a VA loan the only person on this that can be on your loan is your spouse yeah Yeah. so I think that was a really really good overview into the different loan programs especially when we're talking about first-time home buyers Mm -hmm. but your FHA 3.5 percent your conventional 3 percent minimum and then of course zero percent down for VA but I know Ashley um, had a question about variable income and how that works with loans. So I definitely wanted to segue to her to see what that was. Yes, because I wanted to ask you, I have a ton of travel nurse clients. Mm-hmm. And when they come to me, their main concern is they're scared that they won't get pre-approved because of their variable income. Or even um, they haven't been at their assignment for a long, like mm-hmm. at least two years. So with travel nurses, I did them all during COVID. Because I'm a broker lender, I know where to send the loan. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. You really need to go conventional. You really do. Yeah. FHA, yes. For travel yeah. nurses, I tried FHA. I did. And I had to flip it conventional. I moved it to another lender. I just said, let's just order a new appraisal. And we closed conventional. But you also have to know what lender you're going to. I sourced on somebody's page, well, we've got travel nurses 20% down, 800 credit score, something crazy. crazy. And I'm like... down and a regular approved eligible is Mm -hmm. all you need. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing with a travel nurse is that next contract. Don't go under contract. And if you just started, that's cool. But don't go under contract and you're about to end the assignment. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're going to have to do a a verification of employment. So like I know angel staffing, I did a lot of loans with them. They, they'll, they, they do a verification of employment. They say that they work there and it's fine. So conventional, it's fine, but I only send that to one lender. Okay. And I send it to them because I've had success in the past and I know what's necessary. So your biggest thing with your nurses is when is this assignment going to end? Mm-hmm. Okay. So don't it, be so fast to jump to the next one for more money. Right. Just mm-hmm. What if it wasn't in the middle and they're like immediately going to start a new one? Is there a certain time frame they need to be working at the contract. new one? They will need that because I had a client like that. They will need that proof of contract. Mm-hmm. Going to the next one. Yeah, right. Where one. If, but they're opening up a can of words. Just go to the next one where you don't need proof. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're just, you're just, you're, you're causing more angst. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I think what's frustrating is that, yes, you can do it. But why won't you set yourself up for it being smooth? Yeah. If you know you're about to switch jo- companies, just say, you know what? Let's wait. Mm-hmm. I know this market is crazy, but I'm about to go. Because if you had a job that ended June 5th and then you're going to start on July 3rd, 
wait until July third. Right. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A, a, gap, a one month gap is no big deal. It just looks like you went to another job. Right. right. But then you got to start showing the contract. The contract's yeah. only for three months. Right. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do not make it harder than it has That's to be. Right. You I'm not- so glad you said that because I feel like so something. many lenders. So many lenders just don't know how to work with the variable income, and that's what yeah. scares them. Exactly, they make the money. Right. You know, they make the money. I think it's all about structuring the loan. I think it's all about talking to the client up front, letting them know, "Hey, you might these people might get, be getting on your nerves, but you got to stay with them." Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? You got to stay with them if you want to close on time. You yeah. know, with your house, and that makes sense. Just going from the variable income, I do want to just kind of touch on like entrepreneurs because Mm. we're in Atlanta. There's a lot of business owners, entrepreneurs, just like my personal story, especially like coming from W-2 and then going to that 1099 entrepreneur. Like for me, I was in a W-2 position and then I got placed on furlough. So I had a term of like maybe eight months where I was on unemployed due to COVID. So, and then in December I got officially laid off, but instead of me going back to get a full-time job, I just dived straight into real estate in that 1099. So when I took the time to like, okay, well now I think I can buy a house. They were like, no, you can't buy a house. So I was like, okay, yeah. So let's kind of dive into when someone makes that transition and how that can affect their approvals. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If you are a W-2 employee and you right now have something that you're passionate about and you're like, you might be making a little money on the side and you think it's great, Buy your house first. Mm-hmm. Please buy your <laughs> house, <laughs> house first. Buy your because in hindsight, you're saying if I had known that, you might Stay. not have jumped right in. You might have mm-hmm. went and got another job. Exactly. And let's, we're going to talk about gaps in employment really fast yes. because you talked about your gap in employment. Mm-hmm. So if you had a gap in employment for eight months and then you went back to your W 2 job, conventional, all I would have had to do was run you through automated underwriting. Mm-hmm. You would have did a letter of explanation Mm -hmm. you would have been fine fha's guideline is different if you have a gap of six months or more you have to then you have to show your previous two-year job history but then you have to be six months on the job so the time on the job needs to match what the gap is yes six months on your new job and it they are to the t i did it once and you do have to be in the same field right um, if, if it's, if you, if you went up in income, it's okay. So let's just say you were a custodian at a school mm. and now you have a job as an administrative assistant. Right. That's okay. So the two lines in the same job isn't really true. Mm-hmm. It's just, they want to see consistent and increase in pay. Not a decrease in pay, Mm -hmm. but back to your, so that's the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs make is that they leave that W-2 and they're so proud and so happy. So happy. So so proud. And you're like, you're like, I'm making this money. You're like, you see my, you see my 1099. And I'm like, yeah, I need, yeah, I need two years of that. That's two years things, y'all. That's two years things. It's two, it's two years of it. This one girl, she was just going, I said, well, honey, go get a job. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, yeah. If yeah. you have a W-2 job, and that's what's really unfortunate, because you can go from 1099 to W-2 and close in 30 days. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. You, oh, okay. You, you, gotcha. If you flip it, mm-hmm. you're fine, because now we're looking at it. It's not It's not a matter if Taisha gets out of mo- bed this morning and she wants to work. You got to get up, because mm-hmm. you got a W-2, and right. they want you there. 
Okay. So that's how they view it. They view it as it's the risk isn't as when you're a W-2 employee, the risk is really about the company, not about you. Mm -hmm. Because you got to get up every day to go to work and get a paycheck. Right. Right. As an entrepreneur, you could go to Bora Bora next month for a month (laughs) and nobody's going to stop you. Okay. So what about this? So, okay. Mm -hmm. Let me give another story. Absolutely. My story again. Okay. So, (laughs) so I get laid off in December 2020. 2020. Okay. I don't, I don't, I'm just entrepreneur. 2021, 2022, I go back and get a W2 job. How does that look? What That's does that fun. do for me? Oh, I can get by oh, a house. That's okay. what I'm saying. That to go from 1099 to W2 is fine. I always tell people be on the job for at least a month, six weeks, because I had a veteran whose wife had like a part time job. And I spoke to the underwriter, and the underwriter said, I wouldn't really use her income. He said, she hasn't worked in two years. She might be doing this just to get the house. Right. Wow. That's the underwriter. That right. was, I have an underwriting hotline that I'll call with questions. Because, <laughs> you know, I try my best to yeah. set us up for success. So okay. she said straight up, if I was underwriting alone, I wouldn't use the income. Wow. Mm, so I told her to I can't use the income. Like, I don't try and, okay, maybe it'll work. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather yeah. err on the side of caution. Mm-hmm. So if you went back and you had your W-2 income, I'd say stay on your job for 30 days, check your credit score. You really want to go conventional. You really do. I mean, FHA allows it, but FHA requires that you're on that job. You have 30 days of pay stubs at your new job. It's just that, you know, it's just a little more stringent if it's FHA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people. I can now purchase a home. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Yeah. Stay yeah. tuned. <laughs> Homeowner coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of my clients who are fresh 1099, like you said, you do have to have the two years of taxes and they're like, why? Like, it's my first year I'm making six figures and I always pose it like, what if you invent something and it's hot this summer like everybody wants it and then what happens next year nobody's buying it so you might have right, made yeah. 80 to 100,000 dollars this year but what if next year you make nothing right and so what they usually do is they take those two um years of tax returns and they put them together and get the average because that's going to really tell them to give you like a stabilized income but you might have a one year where your money is hot as a self-employed mm-hmm. um person and then what if the next year you make nothing on your job so right. just a little bit of risk but kind of with the entrepreneur along what about our entrepreneur Entrepreneurs who are, you know, full-fledged entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. they have the taxes, they've been doing it for years. What does that entrepreneur loan look like? We've got two different, uh, we're going to talk about both those entrepreneurs. Number one, please have an LLC. Yes. You know, I get that you can make money without an LLC, but we're going to look at an LLC. We really want your LLC to be in existence for two years, even if you're going to do a 12-month bank statement program. Mm-hmm. We still want to see your LLC. My company opened in 18, but my LLC was in 16. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's one thing. So first we're going to talk about our traditional, let's talk about our traditional entrepreneurs mm-hmm. that have their stuff together. together. Right. Mm-hmm. So one thing that you want to let them know is that the underwriter doesn't want to see decline in income. And what that means is in 2020, you made 97000 That was your adjusted gross income. But then in 2021, you made 72000 mm. Your income's going down and you work for yourself. So mm-hmm. what's going on? So it's one of those things. It's like a, they really don't want to see more than a 20% variable. But I always tell my clients it's just better if you don't. But And this is what I also tell entrepreneurs. If you've been in business for over five years and you've got that one year where you're paying Uncle Sam, right? Mm-hmm. Take that year and ball out on property. 
Go buy your house in Destin. Go buy your investment property. Because you've got the income. You had to pay taxes for that year. I would say do everything that you can in that year with that income. And so now we're going to talk about the bank statement. The bank loan. statement. The bank statement. Yeah. Which is low, I think it's very popular here yeah. in Atlanta. I mean, a lot of people do popular, it. It's very popular, but I'm just going to be straight up. Go uh, ahead. Give us the real. You need to really look at those loan estimates. People mm. are knocking your clients over the head okay so right now let's say conventional rates are between five and a quarter and five and a half that's mm-hmm. really where they are mm-hmm. right now your entrepreneurial loan is probably at 7.5 to 7.99 and clarity that's the entrepreneur loan if you're only using your bank statements. only using bank statements mm-hmm. regular entrepreneurial loan you're right at five and a quarter five and a half like everybody else mm-hmm. in america okay and why is there's higher Can we right like why is it going oh, to be it's higher risk. Bank yeah, yeah it's, it's risk. a lot of because risk. it's a bank statement right. because you're not paying miss uncle sam so right. i say you're gonna pay one way or the other right right you know what the i mean so i'm past <laughs> trying to convince people to file their taxes. taxes. I just feel like, okay, my biggest thing with the entrepreneurial loans is that, and I also don't feel like just because somebody makes a lot of money, you got to take it. it. I always say greed ain't godly. Ooh. Ooh, okay. Can we get that in the closed caption? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's not right. And, I, and and so with entrepreneurial loans, they just have to know that their interest rate's going to be high. And it's also hugely based on credit score mm-hmm. and I call them life life changing things bankruptcy foreclosures that is a big deal and an entrepreneur loan they're going to definitely want verification of rent what's mm-hmm. the down payment going to be so bank statements 10% is your minimum down on a bank statement program you have the investor stated loan that's 20% down mm-hmm. and that's a great loan for investors 20% down what's nice about it is that for a duplex um, for a two fan, two to four unit the down payment is still 20% as and if but if you went conventional it would be 25 mm-hmm. so that's another that's another good thing about you know if you went the bank statement bank for that. So quick recap, because if you are an entrepreneur, like we kind of yep. talked about, you do get the option to go conventional if you have your two years of tax returns to kind of show that consistent income. Yep. But then for you all who just keep on refusing <laughs> not to file your taxes, you can go the bank statement route where they will look at your bank statements and more so look at what you're depositing on a monthly mm-hmm. to kind of figure out your annual. But I know with all that, we talked about interest rates right. and how they can vary. So I wanted to kick it out to Nika to kind of you know, yeah, that's my curiosity. So thank you, Tanya, for coming here and just <laughs> absolutely really, like pouring your knowledge because I need my notepad. Okay. So I know. <laughs> I'm We're I'm all continuously learning. We're all continuously <laughs> absolutely. learning. Just to pick back to interest rates, a lot of my clients are asking, okay, who dictates interest rates? I have great credit score, but why is my interest not as low as 2.5 like okay. last year? So, so ooh, people ooh, have to realize that the market is the market. Yeah. yeah. So number one, feds don't determine our interest rates. Our interest rates are based on mortgage-backed securities, and it's tied to the 10-year Treasury bill. Mm. So a lot of people, when you hear the Fed hike, that's not mortgage interest rates. So that's one. So we know that we're technically, you know, inflation is high. So rates have jumped from, you know, low threes. I, I, for the first time, locked my first five and a half. She had a 720 credit score, but that that was with no... Dang, mine was 5.8. That Ooh. was that was with no <laughs> discount points. Mm-hmm. So what's happening is why rates are so high. They, they've increased across the board. Mm-hmm. But why they've jumped with your different loan officers is because the margins have 
decrease in what lenders are making. Mm -hmm. So what's going to happen? Number one, you see everybody getting laid off in the mortgage industry. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's number one. And number two, they've got, now they've got all the staff that they've got to pay. The lender, the loan officer is still going to get their same commission, but now rates are high. Right, right. Mm. Let's talk about it's that. Thank you. Thank it's that's a lot. Right. I would definitely say there's a lot of fluctuation in the market. So you see what Absolutely. interest rate, but definitely have to know how to shop around for lenders, y'all. This, I am overflow with I know. We might have to do a part two because we have to do so Look, y'all might have to subscribe to the extra for that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, okay. So you guys ready for my favorite part? Question of Never. the day. Yes, the question of the day. So we received a question from one of the listeners, and it kind of tied into what we were talking about today, so we figured this would be perfect for you to okay. answer. So the question is, what type of relationship and cadence should you establish with your lender, and what's the best way to do so? Awesome. I think what you should... I think the biggest thing you want to establish is how do they communicate. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thing is that you want a lender that respects your client. I think that you want a lender that respects your client and you want a lender that I personally believe goes to their closing. You can't mm -hmm. go to every closing, but I think it's important. It solidifies the relationship. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's communication. You should have a lender that says, hey, Ashley, title and appraisal, everything's been ordered. Right. I send out four emails. I send out Files been submitted. Well, I don't do files been submitted to underwriting anymore, but I do let you know the files out of underwriting approved. I let you know the appraisal came in at value. If it doesn't come in at value, I give you an opportunity to do re reconsideration of value. Mm -hmm. Then I let you know when the initial CD has been sent out and acknowledged. Mm -hmm. And then I let you know when we're clear to close. So I think it's communication. And I think really it's about respect of you and your client. I think that mm -hmm. that's the biggest thing. And you want a long-term relationship. And you also have to have somebody that's not afraid to pick up the phone when things go, go wrong. Yeah. Because they're going to go wrong mm -hmm. and you have to realize... You can't take it. But, you know, lenders, we know, we, listen, we're only as good as our last deal. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, that's the truth. <laughs> and I always tell people, you think the realtor's your friend and you're all a jamming and, you know, you fasting and praying. They will cut you so fast, your head will spin. Mm -hmm. So I always say, build a relationship, be honest, and you just want to communicate because most of the time you refer the, your client to that lender. Right. right. So relationships and communication is key. are definitely yes. key in this business, I think, with all of our partners. But we are so happy. Oh, you thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're actually our first guest. Oh, yeah. first guest. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to finish Cheers. And thank you guys. We'll see you guys on the next episode of Real Talk Atlanta. Thank Today's topic might be at its end, but the conversation never stops. If you like what you heard, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. For more daily content from the ladies of Real Talk Atlanta, head over to any of our social media platforms to connect with us, and let's talk. As we put the real in real estate.